Welcome to Transmissions from the Evil Lair, the official podcast of the Brotherhood of Evil Geeks. Hey everyone, this is Seamart. And Undies of Wendy. And this is Transmissions from the Evil Lair. Today we have such an amazingly awesome show. In all of my years of podcasting, this may be the uh, my, my favorite recording experience. Uh, not only because it's you know one of my one of my favorite comedians, uh, but it's, it was just a very it was all around incredibly fun to record this podcast. Yeah, it was super great to have on. Um, just uh, a lot of great perspectives on a lot of different things. Joining us today, we have the creator of IFC's Stand Against Evil, uh, which will be premiering. This Halloween, uh, 10 p.m., I believe, and then airs regularly every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. after that. Uh, legendary comedian Dana Gould. It's just such an amazing experience uh, having him on. Uh, now that the interview is over, I can officially fanboy out. Uh, this, this was absolutely the hardest time I've ever had uh, with a guest, not just completely fanboying out. But I think it turned out good. Yeah, definitely. A really awesome experience, and uh, watching uh, both... Uh Seamart and Tom. Yeah, yeah. his real name. Seamart uh, <laughs> and our new friend Tom, who's never been on a podcast before, um, to watch some fanboy out was pretty cool. He certainly hasn't been on his Paolo Pinto before. Let's just say that. Yeah, never ever. But yeah, I mean, we talked for about forty-five minutes or so, and we honestly didn't even get to half of the things I, I would have loved to talk about. You know, again, we have this legendary comedian on who has this uh, you know enormous podcast that's really popular. Uh, not once did we talk about stand-up comedy or podcasting. No, it was crazy. There was just so much to talk about, such a broad range of topics that we only got to, like, a very small portion. But um, really excited, looking forward to his panel at Comic-Con, looking forward to New listening. York Comic-Con, yeah. Yes, New York Comic-Con, um, which is coming up, and I'm excited to listen back to his podcast. So. Yeah. Uh, I apologize right at the start of this interview. Uh, I'm, like, just straight-up yelling as I'm doing the intro. It's mostly... Just a combination of nerves and just excitement. Uh, but they, I settled down after about 30 seconds or so. So just get right past me yelling like a goof, uh, and you'll enjoy this show. Uh, so enough fawning uh, over our guest. Let's get right down to it. Here we are talking with Dana Gould about Stan Against Evil on yeah. Transmissions from the Evil Lair. Yeah. But what's going on, everybody? This is Transmissions from the Evil Lair. I am Seamart, uh, otherwise known as Chris. I am Amanda, otherwise known as Undies of Wendy. And I'm Tom, otherwise known as Tom. Yeah, just Tom. <laughs> just Tom. <laughs> um, we have an incredibly, incredibly special guest with us tonight. Um, I want to say I first became aware of our guest. I want to say it was the MTV Half Hour Comedy Hour, or maybe like the Sunday Comics or Comic Strip Live, like one of those Fox like Saturday, Sunday night shows. Um, you may know him from his stand-up comedy. You may know him from his... Uh, his podcast, you may know him as Fragile Frankie Merman. 
You will probably know him in just a few weeks as the creator of Stand Against Evil on IFC. Joining us tonight, we have Dana Gould. Woo! Yay! Yay! Dana. That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, man. We, uh, we definitely appreciate this. Oh, my pleasure. I was just driving through the Albany area, and I thought I'd pull over to get a sarsaparilla. And Lord knows, there was a podcast going on right here in the back of the general store. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that looks like some good uh, podcast. You just blew up the evil lair like that. <laughs> Everyone knows now. We got some good sass. I just came in and walked by the two guys that looked like Bartles and James. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's fine some of wine coolers. <laughs> I think Bruce Willis is one of those guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. sounds legit. Um, but anyway, let's uh, let's talk a little. I don't want to. I'm all over the place tonight. We want to. You want to get right into this. Uh, let's talk about Stan uh, Standing Against Evil. Uh, sure. Yeah. What um, What kind of led you to create that? I know you were a fan of horror movies in general. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was a I was a big a geeky dude as the next guy. Uh, specifically in this conversation, I grew up with Famous Monsters magazine and. You know, the way I always described my horror fandom and, and stuff was, it's my sports. <laughs> yeah. See that, uh, yeah. that werewolf? That's my football. That's, that's my New York team. Yeah, that's my football. I don't, I don't, I don't dislike football, but this is, I, this is my football. There's no uh, wolf man in football. I was working on a show and I had a couple of projects going and I thought it would be fun just to do, I never really, um, did an outright horror show. I, I thought about writing a, a horror movie, but every time I went to, to write it just on spec, it's, sort of like a fun self-assignment, uh, I would always end up making it funny. I just couldn't help myself. Um, so I thought, well, why don't I just make a horror comedy? And at first I decided to do it as just like a, I was like a three to five minute digital short. I'll just I'll come up with this idea that I could do like four or five little digital mini episodes and, and see if that goes. And, uh, then it came to the idea, which, you know, you want to make, it's got to be worth doing, you know. Uh, and what I thought would be interesting was to just write a straight horror show and then put a character right in the middle of it that didn't belong there. Yeah. Um, have the one person, kind of like, you know, they're the opposite of the straight man, basically. It's the, you know, the one guy who's crazy and everybody else is exactly. playing straight. Um, and, you know, how would that, how would that work out? So... I ended up writing this basic idea for like this three minute little short. And it basically came down to what if my dad was Buffy the Vampire Slayer? What if somebody had to, you know, what if a guy had to fight monsters who was just this old, retired, angry Irish guy that really didn't want to deal with it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and, uh, worked on that and ended up, uh, get, you know, wrote it and I thought, oh, I'll just make this for digital. Put it on the back burner until I had the time. Ended up having lunch randomly with Pete Aronson, who was the head of IFC. Uh, and he said, and he's just an old friend of mine. This wasn't a business lunch. This was just two guys having chicken. And <laughs> as they would he do. said, <laughs> as, it, as it goes. <laughs> and he said, you know what you should do? You should write like a funny X-Files. That would, you'd be great at that. And I was like, well, that's really interesting. I actually just did. And... I described it to him, and he said, well, that's interesting. Could you change, you know, A to B, B to C, C to D? And I said, yeah, I don't, I don't think that would be too big of an issue. And he's like, well, we'll make those changes, work on it, see, see if there's a show in there, like a real show, not a three-minute show. And so I took it home, and I kind of, you know, kicked it around. And I thought, yeah, there's a, there's a show here. 
and went back into ISC and pitched it, and they went, they're great. Yeah, we'd like, to, we'd like to do that. So I wrote a full pilot, and, you know, it's a whole other world now. It's a, a real... You know, it's a full play show. It's not, you know, when you write something that's three minutes long, it's basically a joke. Um, and this is not a joke. This has to be a show. This has to be a world with, with uh, people in it. And so uh, it took me a while to, to figure out what it was. But once I did, I, I went back in and I said, yeah, this is one. So then I wrote the pilot. And that pilot went to IFC with several other pilots and like, okay, here's eight scripts. We're going to make two, two or three shows. Um, and that's nail-biting time. But you just go on with your life. This is your job. And they said, okay, what we'd like to do is have you write eight episodes. And we don't know if we're going to make them, but write them. And that's when you really find out whether or not you have a show. And I did, and I did. I, I did write them, and I did have a show. So uh, submitted that, and then after a while, they came back and they said, yeah, okay, we want to do this. We think this is really, this is a show. And that was how uh, the show came about. We ended up, uh, because IFC has limited resources in terms of time and budget, um, we did this thing called cross-boarding, which is we took all the episodes were written before a single camera turned. Um, all the scripts were written. And we took it and shot every episode like a movie. We Put all of the um, put all the episodes on a on a production board and like okay here's eight episodes worth of kitchen scenes eight episodes worth of scenes in the sheriff's department eight episodes worth of scenes in the woods and we just shot them like a movie we shot all the kitchen stuff we shot all the stuff in the woods blah 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 and uh, and that's basically how the show came about huh. uh, we shot it over the course of uh, basically uh, six weeks uh, down in Atlanta and. Um, then uh, we just finished editing them, and we're doing post-production now, scoring them, and uh, it'll premiere. First two episodes premiere on Halloween night uh, on IFC, and then they rerun on November 2nd, and it's regular time slot of Wednesday night at 11.30. I, I wanted to ask you about it's that. It's just that simple and just that boring. <laughs> <laughs> I just happened to be a coincidence, and you know, luck basically led to it. <laughs> Here I am, bam. Uh, but no, well, I yeah, to ask you about... like after only 48 years in the business, I got lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about having the show premiere on Halloween. I know, like you, you know, you're a big Halloween guy. Does, I am indeed. Does that add to the occasion, or is it like added stress when you would rather just be mm. party, you know, enjoying the day? It definitely. If the future of the show hinged on who watched it that night, it would ruin Halloween for me. <laughs> Fortunately, that's not how it works anymore. Um, I will be, uh, I will probably be home by 10, <laughs> but, uh, I may still be out with my kids. Trick or treating is a priority. Halloween is not about me. It's about them. Yeah. So, uh, that said, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens, but it's rerun again on November 2nd. That's close enough to Halloween. How yeah. did you get, uh, John C. McGinley? Is he such a great, like, dramatic actor? And, uh... Yeah, he's a real actor. He's not farting around. <laughs> and uh, and you know like I, I, he did he did Scrubs which was uh, was comedy stuff but he did Office oh, Space and, and Office comedy, Space yeah. yeah but like you know like I think of him I think of like Platoon Seven you know? right? Seven yeah, yeah. Like, he's always lighting Barnes's cigarette in Platoon you know 
And I saw the pictures for him in this, and he kind of has like, a, and this, I mean, this is a total compliment. He's got like a, a Dabney Coleman vibe going. Yeah, no, he, I mean, he is a younger version of uh, uh, my dad. I mean, my dad is Archie Bunker. That's my dad. As I've described him before, he's Archie Bunker without the elegance and sophistication. Um, <laughs> dad is not John. And when you, you know, do a show, you have to, you know, you, you write it up and you get it to where you want it to be. And then you have to sort of give it up and let the actors bring it to life. And that's what I had to do with John. It's like, okay, you take it now. And what John ended up doing was something that I would have never thought to do. But basically, and he's not doing this intentionally, but the way it presented itself to me, it's like, oh, it's Quint. Oh, oh, it's Quint yeah. at home with a daughter. Huh. That's great. <laughs> and, um, and, and that worked just as good. It's like, okay, it's, it's a show about Quint. Huh. Just as good. And uh, that's basically part of the trick of doing this is you have to release yourself and, and, and release your expectations of what you want and what you want to have it be and let it uh, be something unto itself. Yeah, let it, it takes on its own life. Off. It's like a jam, man. It's yeah. like <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to rock out for the first season or two. Yeah, yeah. but if you, you know, if you try to control every single uh, frame and second, you know, it, it'll be lifeless. You'll, it'll, you'll strangle it. You really have to let things uh, uh, exist. And that's one of the things that really changed from animation. That's one of the things that I had to unlearn coming from The Simpsons. Because in The Simpsons, yeah, you can control every every frame, every nuance, every piece. And uh, you have to kind of let that go with um, when you're doing uh, a live action. You kind of have to let the actors take it over and uh, and let it be its own thing. Yeah, they're going to put their own spin on the characters, you know, regardless right. of what you had in mind. And it's always better because it's, it's you know, there's, you know, a script is to what uh, a movie or a TV show, what an architect's drawing is to a building. It's like, this is just, uh, this is a rep two-dimensional representation of a very three-dimensional thing. Not to get too arty-farty about it. <laughs> that was deep. <laughs> this is officially now an educational podcast. I like Great. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, I just wanted to make a monster show. And I was going to ask you also about filming down in Georgia. Were you guys near like The Walking Dead? Was there like a point in time? Yeah, yeah, we were. Well, we were we were very close to Walking Dead. I happened to be really good friends with Brett Nicotero. The whole, the only reason I went ahead with writing the three minute short was because I'm really good friends with the K and B guys. And I thought, well, at least it'll look great. It'll be kind of funny, and that it's a show about monsters, and people will expect it looks like crap. And then suddenly it'll look great because I've got all the K and B guys doing it. So I thought, well, that'll be kind of funny. That'll make it worth doing. And um, uh, so, and then we ended up uh, down in Atlanta. We were shooting in um, very close to where they shoot the Vampire Diaries. We were shooting about. 45 minutes away from uh, from Walking Dead, but uh, I almost ended up staying at Greg's house the entire time I was down there. Uh, we're, we're actually, like, we're not showbiz friends, we're actually friends' friends. Um, right. And he's like, well, I'm not going to be here half the time, you should just stay down in the guest room. Uh, but it was too far away, so I ended up staying outside of Atlanta. But no, I, do, I went over to the Walking Dead set, um, I went over to the, um, we were close to where they shot Vampire Diaries, and we were right where they shot Stranger Things. Oh, and we didn't know what Stranger Things was at the time. No one had seen it. Just, yeah, there was a show for Netflix that shot down here recently. 
oh, okay. And then we shot and we wrapped and then I went home and was watching Stranger Things. And I went, oh, that's our police station. That's funny. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that yeah it's up. the same cop station, but we didn't know it at the time. <laughs> I was going to add, like, but I've never watched stuff. television before, especially on a show that I really liked, and thought, oh, I've peed there. <laughs> I've peed on that right there. See, yeah. that's me. I was going to say, with all those, like, horror shows filming, like, in that same proximity, there's, like, a, you know, a punch-in clock somewhere, like those old Bugs Bunny or, like, Wiley Coyote cartoons, oh, yeah. where it's, like, morning Ralph, morning Sam. Sam. It's, like, yeah, a zombie in a vampire. It just worked, yeah. But it was it was great. And then like when I when I you know when I watched Stranger Things, I was like, oh god, that's so weird. I know that street. I parked right there. I know that actor. Have you ever has Greg ever made you a zombie? Um, he I've not been a zombie on the show yet. I'm holding out to play a human at some point. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, because you said you were good friends with him, so you know, like I I thought maybe like he might have like thrown you in a gag or something, you know. Uh, if I want, I, I mean, I would if I could, but I, I'd rather I'd rather do something a little more no pun intended meteor. However, uh, in Greg's very first short movie, I play uh, the Wolfman. Uh, oh. Greg did a short movie that you can find online. It was the first thing he directed called The United Monster Talent Agency, oh. and it was a little short movie based on the premise: um, What if all of the Universal Classic monsters was uh, were actual monsters, and they just had an agency, and uh, they were booked out on on gigs like any, like anybody else. And he sort of made this little black and white behind the scenes, uh, a day in the life of the United Monster Talent Agency. And he said, "I really want you to to be in it." And at the time, I was shooting another pilot uh, for ABC, uh, and I said, "You know, actually, this is insane. I can't do it because I'm shooting my pilot this week." And he said, oh, that's a drag. I really wanted you to play the Wolfman. We were going to do like an old school Jack Pierce transformation. And I said, hold on. Give me five minutes. Yeah. Let's talk this through. Yeah. Can you um, write me a doctor's note? what I ended up doing was uh, delaying the shoot of my pilot uh, two days and um, went and played uh, Larry Talbot in Greg's short movie. That's, that's awesome. cool. Um, yeah. you've, done, you've done a lot of horror stuff uh, I've noticed recently possibly the itchiest thing you could do by the way <laughs> in that regard I can we, imagine we had on recently uh, John Skip uh, and Andrew Cash who directed you in uh, Tales from Halloween yes yeah, they're the greatest that, like, that, that role seemed like it was tailor made from you just from what I know you know about you yeah, that wasn't, well, there wasn't a lot of acting. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of, there was a lot of acting in that. That's like what I want my life to be. I related to that so much. Because like, yeah. I love decorating for Halloween, but nobody around here does those sort of things. So I come... Really? I'm surprised. I live in We're Disney. creepy year-round, you know? Yeah, Albany's just yeah, creepy year-round. But I would think that, uh, uh, that you guys would go bananas on Halloween, I promise. It depends. Like, this neighborhood is, like, we're near a college, so it's, like, kind of half students, half families. So, right. like, you know, that kind of, like, throws it off a little bit. You go into, like, the more residential neighborhoods, and there's, like, crazy setups. I don't get, but, I mean, not not L.A. crazy setups. I mean, but right. I, I desperately want trick-or-treaters. Maybe this will be my year. I buy so uh-huh. much candy, and then no one comes, so I wind up just eating candy for, like, three weeks. It's bad. I know. Um, you end up eating fun-sized candy long after it stops being yeah. fun. It's not fun anymore. It's not fun. Yeah. 
in the saddle. shoving Snickers into your mouth. Bob. <laughs> yeah, like it, it does seem like a little nobody around here goes crazy anymore. I remember when I was a kid, uh, across the street from my grandmother's house, there used to be this guy. He was like a male nurse or something uh, by himself. But every year he would have this insanely gory setup on his porch, where it was like this, like you know. Like mummified, like woman who had been stabbed in the chest, and there was like. <laughs> I think the world's too, the world's a little too PC for that now. Like, right? it, is, it is really funny. I'm very, very close to Boris, who was the character that I played in Tales from Halloween, and that all my stuff is like it's very old school. My my house is super vintage. Like all, it's all um, like those blow mold jack o' lanterns and stuff like that. I go very, very, very old school. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> In, in Brooklyn, they do a little bit. I mean, I'm from Brooklyn. Uh, there was, like, a couple of houses that went, like, all out where uh, this one dude would dress up like Michael Myers and stand out on his, like, little, like, four-inch patch of grass that they have in Brooklyn. And yeah, he would stand there. I'm and familiar people, with it. <laughs> yeah, people would, like, go take pictures thinking that it was a statue, and then he would, like, touch them and, like, scare the oh, shit out great. of everyone. It was, it was bad. It was, it was awesome, though. <laughs> hey, uh, can I uh, throw something out there, like, I, I think it's, um, we're huge Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans, uh-huh. and uh, I'm, I'm an owner of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode guide, and uh-huh. they have, it, at the back of the book, they have like a, a little glossary that explains like certain gags that they had running throughout the whole, the whole series. <laughs> And one, yeah. one of our favorite lines that we've been saying since high school is, go to bed, old yeah. man. <laughs> that's, that's a shout-out to my old, to my stand-up act. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> we, we saw that it was credited to you, and, uh, like, and you know, uh, also with your cinematic Titanic work, and uh, we're huge fans of... Uh, of uh, yeah, you know, Joel was just work. here two days ago. <laughs> he was at my oh. house. He just missed him. Oh, man. That, uh, do you, uh, can you tell us about uh, some of your time uh, hanging out with those guys? Of course, well, yeah, I mean, when I, I first met Joel um, in, oh, 1986, I think, when I was uh, just a, a, a beginning to do stand-up, uh, and uh, I went to uh, Minneapolis to perform, and uh, Joel uh, just came to the show. At the time, he had just sort of stepped down from um, uh, being this big, Comedian. He'd been on Letterman, he'd been on SNL, and he was, um, That's had right. this really interesting act where he was, I wouldn't call it a prop act because he built everything. It was really oh, yeah, clever and, 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 and fabulous what he would, what he did. And, um, he, uh, and we just became friends. He was kind of out of the business at that point. And, um, again, like nothing, just like two people with a lot of shared interests. And then when he would come out to L.A., he would stay with me. And, and Joel, I give Joel a lot of credit. He was really instrumental, not as a, in my stand-up, but he, to, be, uh, to be honest, he was very instrumental to my development as a person. Um, oh, wow. You know, I met him in my, in my early 20s. I was just starting out. And I was in L.A., um, and, I, you know, I had a lot of friends, but, you, you know when you're in your early 20s and you're trying to you're sort of trying on personalities? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm this guy. This Maybe I'm this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I met Joel and his friends, uh, who at the time, now they've all gone, his friends were 
uh, Steve Higgins, who is now Jimmy Fallon's announcer, and Paul Feig, who directed Ghostbusters, and oh. Steve's brother Dave Higgins, and their friend uh, Dave Allen. Um, it wasn't until I got in with all those guys, and like, it was like, they were my, so to speak, like, you know, they weren't too flashy, there was a lot of, you know, plaid shirts, nobody's Nobody was too cool. They all loved horror movies, but they all made fun of horror movies, but they loved horror movies. We all liked Elvis Costello. We all liked the same stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, these are, this is my group. I'm with these people. This is my, this is my group. And, and, and it was really Joel that, uh, that, that did that for me. I, so I, I really owe him a tremendous debt for that. Um, and then when he told me about Mystery Science Theater at the time, it was just a local show in Minneapolis that hadn't gone to the, the Comedy Channel yet. In fact, the Comedy Channel, it wasn't Comedy Central yet, it was the Comedy Channel, and it wasn't the Comedy Channel yet, there was nothing. Uh, and he just did it as a local show in, in St. Paul. And uh, and then when the Comedy Channel started, by that time we had the same manager, and uh, they were like, hey, we're, they're going to try to sell this thing in New York, and, um, and that was the beginning of Mystery Science Theater, but uh, yeah, I, I knew him before he even came up with the show, and uh, and when the new one came about, I was the first person to say I want to write on it. And um, I wrote on the first episode and then had to leave because my show and uh, against evil got picked up. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely like, cannot I, waited, I, I waited 30 years to be a writer and then I quit after uh, <laughs> uh, hey, that. Really and uh, and um, uh, he actually uh, is on my Halloween, ep- the Halloween episode of my podcast. Okay, nice. Yeah, I, I absolutely yeah. cannot wait for that new Mystery Science Theater. I think it's going to be so amazing. Like, just yeah, the it's of great. Talent they it, have. I, I can tell you from what I've uh, seen and written about, uh, written, and uh, I, I think uh, it's going to pick right up where where it left off without too much of a skip. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, um, you're going to like it. It's yeah. going to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that that was St. Paul. Like centric. Yeah, we were just at a comic convention in Minneapolis, and I mean, he's still like a legend out there. Like, there were cosplayers of Mystery Science Theater. There are people who had oh, like, yeah, full robots built. And there was like Mystery Science Theater merchandise. Like, yeah, the first time that I ever went out to Minneapolis for that same convention, like you know, everyone's like, "You've never seen Mystery Science Theater? Watch it. Sit in this chair. Don't move." And I was like, "Okay, sure." Yeah, no, it's people are people are into it. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's like right. a huge thing out there. Yeah, no, they, he, and, and it, it was really great because it was just one of those things where they, um, you know, it was, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna compare what I did to it, but it came from the same place in the sense of he didn't set out to make a show, uh, he, uh, anything other than he, he set out to, to do something that, uh, he wanted to watch. And uh, he had to make it himself because no one else was making it. And that's really uh, what happened with Stan Against Evil. Like, you know, this is the kind of show that I'd really love to see, but no one's making it, so I have to make it. I guess I'll do it, you know. (laughs) Anyone, anyone? All right, I'll do it. All right. It looks fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Well, that's that's always, that's how you write quality stuff. Like, that's very broad generalization, but, like, don't concern yourself with, your, your giant audience, like, if that happens, it happens, great. Entertain yourself, and then, you know, it'll get across to, the, you know, the people you're trying to reach. That's exactly right. I, you know, every, uh, you know, it, it's very rare that, uh, that people second guess, you know, the, the, the best example is Star Wars. You know, George Lee was like, I made this 
movie because before he became an asshole, uh, you know, <laughs> like, I made this movie because I wanted to see it. Um, and that's you know, you have bands make an album because they want to hear the kind of music that they're doing. That's really prominent, and for better or worse, I've never yeah. second guessed. So I, I heard a story, and I'm, I'm, I'm not knocking this person because I worked with this guy, and I, I really like him a lot. But um, there was a story in the New York Times that when uh, Aziz Ansari did his special, he focus grouped his material. Like he, he recorded like the show, or and then had a focus group, and it was like, what material do you want to hear? What topics do you want to hear about? This, 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 or this. And th- that to me is is so yeah. antithetical to. Uh, to everything that I, I think, and I'm going to get really kind of arty party here, that, that being an artist is about it. It's like, no, I'll, I'm going to do what I want, and hopefully you're going to like it. Um, and everything that I love has been that way. In American Werewolf in London, nobody wanted to make that movie. John Landis has, at that time, had made Animal House and the Blues Brothers. He was the most profitable comedy director in the history of show business. He's like, yeah, I want to make this werewolf movie. It's kind of funny. No. <laughs> Nobody wanted to make it. He had to deficit finance it himself to get it made. Uh, and I think it's his best movie. I think it's a better movie than Animal House. Oh, it yeah. certainly yeah. aged better. And as uh, I think if you would ask him, it's probably the movie that is the most uh, alive of, of, of his films, the one that is still the one that people talk about um, yeah. more than any, I think more than Animal House. Um, it's not as rape friendly as Animal House. Animal House is really rape friendly. Yes. And you know what's worse? Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Revenge of the Nerds is crazy rape friendly. And, and, and it's like, this was made during my life. <laughs> it's like, how things change so much. Yeah, I remember the time when none of that would raise a red flag. And now it's yeah. like. Yeah. yeah, no, I watched it recently and I was like, what? Like, what is yeah. this? Well, the Revenge of the Nerds basically it ends with a date rape. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, you guys are not fooling around. It's like an old Ian Fleming novel or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> They're awful. Ian Fleming has one of the most, like, brilliantly, like, sexist and just misogynistic lines of all time. I can't remember which Bond book it was, but he's, the, the sentence he wrote was, All women love soft rape. <laughs> Should be on a shirt right there. I like I like your mic drop after that. You couldn't see it. Sounds like the greatest. Soft, a scandalous hint of rape. Just a a kiss of rape. Just a teeny tiny. It's 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 awful. Um, I also know. Um, uh, in the in the book, um, live and let die. In the book, live and let die. Uh, there's a line. Uh. Where uh, it says, below in the garden, the help moved with the lethargy. No, below in the garden, the landscapers moved with the lethargy of colored help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I yeah. just read that book recently. Actually, you can like yeah. open up like a page and like just like like put your finger on it. It's gonna be something that's highly offensive. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was an old, you know, uh, he was a British classicist uh, douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, he was. He was awful. Yeah. <laughs> I believe the kids today call that a fuck boy. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> That's just the internet slang. Uh, yes. The lingo these days. Yes, it is. <laughs> I uh, I was going to say, I actually have, although we've never met before uh, before this evening, I actually have a connection 
to a national political scandal because of Dana Gould. Uh-oh. Do tell. I'm excited <laughs> about this story. I've never heard it. Picture it, if you will. I think it was, um, <coughs> I don't remember the exact day, but it was September 12th or September 13th, 2013. Uh, I was going to the Bell House in Brooklyn to see uh, you, Dana, and uh, Matt And Bo- Matt Bronner. Matt Bronner, yeah. Bukaki of Smile Store. Um, and, uh, he got the worst name in the history of show <laughs> I, uh, I'd never been to the Bell House before, and like I've been in New York hundreds of times, so I can just go by memory. So I had to use uh, I had to use you know Google Maps because I've never never been to the Bell House, and it took me a different way than I normally go. I usually go through the Lincoln Tunnel. It brought me over the George Washington Bridge. So like a mile from the bridge, traffic just stopped. Oh no, you were in the Chris Christie traffic. Jam. I was absolutely stuck in the Chris Christie traffic. Jam. I've never yeah. heard the story. Yeah, I'm saying it was one of those things like. When I, there was a sign, one of those like roadside, you know, flashing signs. It said traffic study, like September 9th wow. to the 12th. And it was one of those things I immediately knew was bullshit. I was just like, fuck you, there's no fucking traffic yeah. study. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it might as well have said, I'd turn back if I was you. Yeah, traffic study, there's a giant yeah. lane with nobody in it. Oh my God. And I actually was almost late to the show. I got, I got there, I got the last seat on the floor, uh, right, as, oh, uh, no. right as Brooks Whalen was going on. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's really good. That's a good yeah. story. I wasn't expecting that, but yeah, it's Christie's fault. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Here I am, embroiled in a you know a, a national political scandal. I just want to see some comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dana, you said you uh, guys all liked Elvis Costello. What's uh, what's your top Elvis Costello record? Um, it, it changes, it's not necessarily the one I listen to the most. I will say that King of America had the biggest impact on me. I was just really right in the mood for that when it came out. Yeah. I think, um, uh, Blood and Chocolate maybe is probably the loudest and angriest, nice. uh, that I revisit the most. I would think, I would say if I had to do five, it's hard to do like, I would say this year's model, yeah. King of America, Blood and Chocolate, and then um, one of the uh, the later albums, maybe. I actually like the Delivery Man a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I, luckily, you know, Armed Forces uh, is kind of a layup. But, I, uh, I, like the, I like the angrier, messier stuff. Uh, my, my absolute go-to depression album is Painted for Memory. Oh, Painted for Memory. Yeah, Elvis Costello yeah. and Burt Bacharach. Sure. Yeah. Well, if you've ever gotten divorced, this, uh, this house is empty now. Is one that'll put you right in the suicide. Put you right in the suicide squad. And by that, I don't mean a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a drinking alone in the dark album. Yeah. <laughs> I've got Tom Waits. I've got painted for memory. But there is a great thing that you know, just like <clears throat> it doesn't surprise me. Like it's just sort of like a a stuff that goes hand in hand. Uh, you know, people. Uh, like-minded people like similar things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, you were saying like, like-minded people. You were talking before about the, you know, like the mystery science theater crew and like, where they've all gone. I'm always fascinated by like these talent clusters, how, you know, like these groups of people who do this one thing, like, you know, way back when now are just everywhere. You know, come everywhere. It's a renaissance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. um, you know, comedy-wise, I can think of like the Largo in, like, you know, the 90s. Right. Like, yeah. And, like, all those people are just huge now. Like, Yeah, um, <clears throat> a lot of times it's not... Uh, talent clusters is an interesting way to put that. Hang on, yeah. Because... Excuse me. Sorry. 
it's not so much a talent cluster, it's a social cluster. Um, it's basically people hanging out, and uh, they all want to do the same thing. Yeah. You know, the Ben Stiller show yeah. uh, was not a talent cluster. It was just, that's who we all went to, to lunch with, you know? It was just a social a social group. Uh, nobody was setting out to do anything specific. Comedically, we all just had this, a similar uh, sensibility. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and that is sort of the birth of that. And I think that's true with, uh, you know, Kids in the Hall and, and other groups. Um, you just sort of come up uh, at the same time. And you, you know, you fuse together. Most great bands are like that. You know, they don't, it's just like, I don't know, these are the guys I was hanging out with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played in many bands and they were, it's, they were all started through proximity. Yeah, exactly. And, and convenience. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you're around. <laughs> Want to do something? Sure. We, like uh, us hosting this show, we started out as friends and uh, then we, uh, we uh, started our own uh, stop-motion animation company, and we uh, started doing podcasts and stuff and all sorts of different things, and uh, all because we were friends in high school. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's... You know, it's you know that story ends with, we started our own stop-motion animation company, and the next thing you know, we were all bankrupt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's Let's not do right. Stop-motion right. stop animation and podcasting. We'll be yeah. rich. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Said I no decided that uh, now that I made so much money podcasting, <laughs> I could stop hoarding all of my blog money. It's so funny when people are like, "Hey, do you make a lot of money from that?" I'm like, "Hi, do you know what podcasting is?" <laughs> I've had this shirt since what 1998. Does it look yeah. like I make a lot of money? <laughs> um, do you make a lot of money from that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, hilarious! I was going to say uh, again, just from listening to your show, I know. You'd worked at a movie theater and like a drive-in when you were younger. Did you find that kind of influence like you comedically? Excuse me, comedically, because I could speak for me and Tom and say that like it absolutely did for us. Like just oh, yeah. being that close to like the culture of the moment, like it, it rubs off on you. Well, yeah, I think it gave me a real, you know, because I wasn't a sports guy. Uh, I just never kind of got lost in that world. Um, but I was really immersed in pop culture, and like I was, you know, I was reading Famous Monsters and Starlog and all that stuff. And I was in a really small town, and there wasn't um, a, a big community of. I mean, I had friends, but I had I had friends, but I didn't have any friends that really shared my interests as passionately as I did. So you know, you have Famous Monsters and Starlog and all that stuff, and um, and I, yeah, I worked at the movies, which was a great way to indulge it. And um, what it did give me was an a pretty in-depth pop cultural vocabulary um, that when I became a comedian certainly came in very handy. Um, yeah, and, you're, you're and then you so meet, much. When you, then you go out in the world and you meet other people that have it as well. And, you know, it's like people that can pull <laughs> James Bond novel quotes. That sort of, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's like, conversely, the best job and the worst job at the same, you know, at the same time, because, again, you're connected to everything that's going on, like, you know, culturally, you're, you know, you're, the, you're like the gatekeeper to that for everybody you know. They're asking you what the movies to go see, like, but at the same time, when everybody's out having fun, you're standing there and you're red, you know, dirty red vest and yeah. you're ripping yeah, tickets like mopping up soda spilled with people you. you hate, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I did end up seeing, like, you know, there's certain movies that I've just seen so many... For your eyes only, I saw 300 times. The summer of 1981, 
in my particular drive, uh, my particular theater, it was Superman 2 and For Your Eyes Only. It seemed like forever. Wow. Please bring it. And whenever I hear the Superman thing, da, 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 I mean, like, oh, I gotta open the doors. <laughs> Shit, I missed the theater. Even now, it's just, I've approached the end. Oh, I gotta open doors. <laughs> Oh, man. When the movie Crash came out, not the one that was about racism, but the one that had... The sex those, crash? Right, the James Spader sex one. Right, yeah, the, the, yeah, I know that one. I had to guard the door because so many people were buying the tickets to other movies, they were ashamed to buy the Crash tickets. <laughs> and they, 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 so they would buy a ticket to something else and then sneak into Crash. I had to be, you know, the cooler at the door. <laughs> Send in the muscle. Yeah, but then I wound up sneaking into the movie to see it, too, you know? <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> See, they're very, like, strict with movie theaters up here. In, in Brooklyn, you could just kind of, it's like lawful anarchy. You buy a ticket, you could stay all day. No one would notice. Yeah. No one gives a shit. Just, just live here now. This is where I live now. In this theater. Yeah, well put. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, uh, you were credited with writing two songs on The Simpsons. Uh, two? That's what I just saw on IMDb. Not just now, I mean, but I mean, like, it, it credited you with lyrics for two songs, I think. Oh yeah, well, probably because I wrote the musical. I wrote, um, I wrote the President wore pearls, which was a musical episode. It was a parody of Evita, where oh, where Lisa becomes school president. <laughs> Lisa becomes the president of school, and uh, I wrote a. I must have written a couple of songs for that. Oh, I was, yeah, I was curious about that. Yeah. Yeah, all I remember from that episode was having to watch Evita. <laughs> Godspeed. I read yeah. that movie. Yeah, yeah. I had to Did you really? That. Yeah, I had to sit through that one. <laughs> yeah, we're big musical theater people where I grew up, so I, I've seen that movie several times. See, I was lucky enough uh, to work at a theater at the time where there, there were no musicals. We had, like, I had to dodge down with love. Enough. That was about it. <laughs> yeah. How dare you insult the American musical? Well, it's funny. I wrote, um... I wrote for the Ben Stiller show, I wrote a sketch called Planet of the Apes, the musical, which was, uh, it was going to be, you know, like when a play comes to town, they do a commercial for it? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Coming to the Wilbur Theater, Bart Club, or whatever. Um, Daddy's dying, who's got the world? And it, was, it, was, it was Planet of the Apes, the musical, and it was just going to be clips of a musical of Planet of the Apes. And then the second... Commercial, you know, you do two, one of those bits would have, like, the first commercial is fine, the second commercial was going to be from the producers of Planet of the Apes Musical, Hal Holbrook is Dr. Zayas as Mark Twain tonight. <laughs> and I only wrote those because I wanted to get, have somebody do the makeup and put me in the makeup. And the, the joke of it was second. Well, the, we never, that was for the... What would have been the 14th episode of the show? <laughs> it didn't get made. Um, we got canceled at the Big 13. And that idea ended up going over to The Simpsons. Uh, Planet of the Oh. That's right, yeah. It's the front of floor episodes. Yeah. That ended up going over to The Simpsons. I didn't write it, uh, but it was just one of those that was. Um, it, it ended up at The, uh, at the Simpsons. And. Um, and that was great, and they did a great job, and I, I think David Cohen wrote most of those lyrics. They got from Futurama, if I'm not mistaken. I wasn't at the Simpsons yet. Um, I then, uh, 20 years go by, and I'm talking to John Hodgman, uh, who's doing Sketchfest, and he says, uh, 
he found a he was doing this thing. He found a picture of um, one of the actors from Planet of the Apes reading the biography of Mark Twain on the set, and and was doing the same, trying to find somebody doing a mashup of Doctor Zayas and Mark Twain. And uh, and we were just having a conversation about something else that nothing to do with anything. And I said, "Oh, that's funny. That's a sketch I wrote for the Ben Stiller show like 20 years ago." And he said, Can you, "Would you want to do it at Sketchfest?" And I was about to say no when I realized, "No way, I can do it. I'm friends with Greg Nicotero and all the KMBFX guys. I know the bit. Like, yeah, hang on, I can do it." So I, I literally just it was one of those things like I call up Greg Nicotero and I go, "Hey." Uh, and, uh, can I pay one of your guys to go to San Francisco with me and do a Dr. Zayas makeup? Yeah, hang on. Hey, Andy, you want to go to San Francisco? Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> Literally. Four minutes. Like four minutes. And uh, that ended up uh, beginning one of my uh, very uh, perplexing side businesses, which is a Dr. Zayas personal appearance fan. Yeah. Oh, you say you recently did that for the uh, Phantom Events uh, Planet of the Apes. And for the Mystery Science Theater reunion, right? Yeah, I did oh. it. I've done it. Let's. I've done it a couple times. I just, you know, I did it for uh, John's show at Sketchfest, and that's on uh, YouTube. I later did it uh, at Largo here in LA for a live show with Paul Williams, who was in Battle for a oh, wow. uh, And then I also did it for the Mystery Science Theater. Uh, what do you call it? Telethon. Telethon, that's what it was. Uh, and then I just did it for TCM when they did uh, classics on the big screen and they showed uh, Planet of the Apes on the uh, on the big screen. Ben Mankiewicz interviewed me beforehand as Dr. <laughs> and I showed him like he was an actor on Merv Griffin, you know, he was just name dropping. Like, well, I was working with Lindsay Wagner. She's a delight, by the way. <laughs> She makes an ambrosia salad. I've done, like, I can't, I, it's hard to put into words. She's a real sweetheart. She lives in Santa Barbara and has an Etsy store, and we stay in touch. You know, I love those, like, weird old action things. Did you ever, like, have, like, an inkling that, like, this lifelong fascination with Planet of the Apes would lead to something like that? Like, you being the Dr. Zayas guy? No. <laughs> but it is a testament. It is a testament to just... Doing what you like, like what you know, like I just did that because like I really like it. I, it makes me laugh. It, I think it's funny, and I just I just did it, and um, and it it you know eventually I, I hate to say something as, as as sweaty as follow your bliss, but like you know it is like I just really liked it and I never stopped liking it and I haven't died yet. So <laughs> you just keep doing it. I mean, I remember when I was a really little kid. Um, like I was nine or ten years old, my friend uh, Alan Anderson, who lived across the street, not Al Anderson, the guitarist from NRBQ, which you may be familiar with if you live in upstate New York. Um, we made a short eight millimeter movie, uh, a, a, basically a parody of the Wolfman called Howling Harry. Little kid, you know, we were kids making a little eight millimeter movie. And, you know, my, the thing at the time, it was like, let's make a movie that's really scary and also really funny. And move a couple decades later, I'm still basically doing the same thing. I mean, Stand Against Evil is basically a big budget version of Howling Harry. It's really scary and it's really funny. You know, if you only have one or two interests and you stick with them, it tends to pay off. Yeah. <laughs> um, while we're on the topic, I've got to ask, what's your favorite, uh, your favorite iteration of Planet of the Apes, like which uh, your movies, TV show, which one? 
I thought you were going to say interracial. They're all great. I love the I just want people to be happy. When those What's your favorite interracial marriage? I don't know. Kirk and Uhura. I'm uh, when the Iranian tags um, and the gorillas so get it on, it just really um, does for me. No, sorry. I have to get this right. I believe it. Where, what episode did Kirk kiss Uhura? Was it Gangsters of Triskelion or? Oh, I... No, it yeah. was the one with the guy that played Megalito Loveless. <laughs> So do you do a, a Hal Holbrook Hal Holbrook impression? What? You said that you were your plan was to do before Dr. Zayas, you were gonna do No, Hal it was Holbrook. always Hal Holbrook as Dr. Zayas doing Mark Twain tonight. Do you do Hal Holbrook doing Mark Twain? <laughs> no, it was always just gonna be Zayas' voice. It was always just Maurice Evans. Because uh, I saw you do Shatner as Zayas or Zayas as Shatner. Yeah. And, that's know, me. Yeah, that's... That, that <laughs> it's a bit of a Russian doll of an impression. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought maybe there was Hal Holbrook, like, hidden down in there, too. <laughs> Look, I'm not against it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Whatever Hal can get going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting side note, Hal, Hal Holbrook's from around here, isn't he? Is he just and he's still going, isn't he? I think so. He still plays, like, Mark Twain every now and again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know yeah, yeah. Hal Kilmer also has a show, a one-man show about Mark Twain. Yeah, I heard that was going to be a movie. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> Mickey Rourke. That guy, also. by the way, is a, a true nut. Mickey, who, that was Val Kilmer? Or Mickey yeah, Rourke? he is a true crazy person. Did you guys like have, go out on a bender with No, him? I've never <laughs> met him. I'm sure he's lovely. Uh, have but, you seen uh, I like, Dr. Just read all these stories about him, like, on the doors and stuff. Like, he's not one of these guys, the camera shuts <laughs> off, and he's like, hey, what are you doing? Like, he's... Yeah. If he's Jim Morrison, he's Jim Morrison for a year. That's, that's the way it goes. I'm Jim. Oh, it still to this day makes me just want to punch him right in the face. I'm the singer. I'm Jim. <laughs> um, I know you said you had, you, know, you, had to, you had to get going. I don't want to keep you all night. Uh, but this has been absolutely amazing, man. For real. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, Stand Against Evil premieres Halloween. Uh, where else uh, yes, it premieres on Halloween night and uh, at 10 o'clock on IFC, and uh, then it is rerun on November 2nd in its regular time slot at 10 o'clock on IFC, and uh, and then it runs for the next uh, couple of months. And it's uh, if you like horror movies and you like The Simpsons, you will absolutely like Stand Against Evil. I promise you. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to try uh, try to make it to the uh, the panel at New York Comic Con. Uh, yeah, we will be there. Oh, well, please come up and say hi. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, yeah. I, I absolutely, that's one of the ones I can't wait for. I can't wait for that panel. It's, it's going to be awesome. Have you ever done New York before? I've never <laughs> been to the New York Comic Con, no. Oh, um, it's, it's a scene, man. It's <laughs> what, What's more, even more fun than the actual con is what happens after the con. If, <laughs> if you know where to go. Seeing where people. I don't. I'm not sure I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember the safe word is Alamo. There's a lot Alamo. of people that look like the older people on Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but thank you so much for doing this, man. We really, really do appreciate it. We're all fans. Uh, thank you. And, uh, I really appreciate your patience with my somewhat ridiculous schedule. It will get better soon. No, it's and, not um, understandable. And then, yeah, please, uh, please come up and say hi uh, at uh, Comic-Con. Please. For sure, man. Um, well, folks, this has been Transmissions from the Evil Lair. Uh, I've been, uh, I'm Chris, that's who I am, eh? I'm Amanda. <laughs> uh, and one last thank you to Dana. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, my pleasure. It was awesome.